Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, good morning, good morning out there in the uh, virtual radio land. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio's Off the Shelf for this Saturday, November the 10th. We're heading toward Thanksgiving and the holiday season, and I hope those of you who were impacted by Hurricane Sandy and then the snow that came, which wasn't that bad, at least not here in the, in the Philadelphia area, I hope you all are getting your things back together, and and I'm just glad to hear so many people have their power back and that you're getting back on your feet. And for those of you, regardless of where you are in the world, I want to thank you for joining us here this morning at Office Shelf. It's such a joy to have you here with us. For those that might be your first time tuning in, and I always like to recognize our loyal listeners who've been with us for going on nine years now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For those who are tuning in for the first time, I want to introduce myself. I'm your host, Denise Turney, and as I always say, I'm coming to you live from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And again, I thank you for your support. And I encourage you, you are going to want to get this book. You're going to you're going to get so much out of this book. And one of the key things is observing how love works through different relationships, even when you think those relationships are so broken that it won't work. And this book that I really encourage you to pick up today is my latest book, Love Pour Over Me. You get so much, so much in this story, entertainment and things that will give you insight, maybe that can even help you in your own Lies, And you can pick up a copy of Love Pour Over Me today at online and offline retailers everywhere, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Ingram, Digital iTunes, Google Books, etc. And when you go to the bookstore, if you don't see it on the shelves, just ask the clerk for it. They can order you a special copy by because Love Pour Over Me is carried by the largest book distributors in the world. And you can read free excerpts at my website, which is www.chistelchistell.com. Please go get a copy. Treat yourself to a copy of Love Pour Over Me Today. Ebook is only $3.03. And now let us go and meet our very special off the shelf guest. Our special guest today is Marlene Banks, and we are so privileged to have her back here on Off the Shelf with us. We had the pleasure of connecting with Marlene here, right here at Off the Shelf, this April. So she is a prolific writer. She comes out with new books, what seems like every four or six months, and she's a fabulous writer, so we're honored to have her back. And for those who missed the April show, I want to introduce you to Marlene Banks. And then when I go through some of the questions, we'll go back over some of her previous books as well so you can get caught up on some of her works. But Marlene Banks is the is the ministry director at Lifeline Mission of the Gospel. She has a theology degree from Rima Bible Institute, and she is also the author of the books Roots Redemptions, Greenwood and Archer, and Son of a Preacher Man. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Marlene. Good morning. Great to be here. Good morning to you. It's good to have you back here this morning. I know we both are in the in the Philadelphia area. It's just a privilege to have you back on off the shelf. And I look at your book covers and and the, how they 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 the covers make them look like real events that you would read about in a, in a newspaper. And I like how you do that. I want to talk about and again for our listeners who weren't may not have caught the April show. I want to talk about one of your earlier books, Ruth's Redemption. Um, again, so our listeners who didn't catch that April show can discover about your, your book. What time period is Ruth's Redemption in? And this is a good question because it kind of shows something about your style as we talk about your later books as well. But what time period is Ruth's Redemption set in, and why did you choose this time period? Ruth's Redemption is in the 1830s a slave-era novel, and I chose that because I wanted to write about significant historical events in the African-American community, and I used uh, Nat Turner's Rebellion as a backdrop, and that was when that happened. Wow, and so you you, you, you pick, as we go through the show, listeners will be able to, be able to tell, you know, from researching it, I, I can tell that, you pick these high-charged incidents 
to surround you, to, to create your stories around. I wanted to ask you how much research, because you're going back so far, you're going back almost 200 years. How much, well, actually, actually you're going back, yeah, you, you're you going back a, a, a couple of centuries. Yeah. How much research did you do? For Ruth's redemption, and how much research would you say you normally do for your books? Because these are you go back in history on your stories. Uh, do you normally like just spend weeks at the library, <laughs> pour, pour through records? Well, you you have to do a lot of research, and it starts before the story is written. Much into before I get much into the story, I've already done a significant amount of research, and. Basically, you have to research the, the things that will pertain to what you're going to write about. Meaning, if you're going to write something, say, about ice skating and the history of ice skating, you would deal with ice skating from the beginning to the end. Dealing about slavery, there's, slavery lasted for so long, African slavery, and it was such a vast period, but I focused on things that were significant to that exact period that I was writing about in the 1830s, what they looked like. Because what the slaves dressed like, looked like, and did in the 17 and 1600s would be vastly different from what they did in the 1800s. So I researched that time period, the 1800s, what slavery was like then, and what the area that I'm writing about was like then. Was so it, was I, I concentrate it, was, on just the period exactly that I'm trying to write about. But I also what, got history about the beginning of slavery, so forth and so on. Was it more brutal in the 1800s? When you say it was different than in the 1700s? Actually, it was brutal the whole time. Well, I know, but um, I, that, that, yeah. I would say it was probably less brutal then, only because there were a lot of voices speaking out against it. Yeah. There was a lot of abolitionist rumble. Yes. Eventually led into the Civil War and all of the um, abolitionist movements. So in the 1800s, I'm, and this is just my opinion, I'm thinking it was less brutal than it would have been in the 17 and 1600s when there was nobody speaking out against anything. Right. When all these cruel... Yeah. Um, Practices that they had with the slaves actually originated. Yeah, and nobody was there to say, "Hey, put on the brakes." Even though the people doing this were probably a lot of them good church-going folks, and something that would even stir up their conscience if <laughs> they read the scriptures and listened to sermons. Well, one of the differences by the 1800s, it had become a lifestyle, and yeah. and it and is the way for human nature. You anything that you want to do, you can justify it. Oh yes, anything, and that goes. Wow, for yeah, and, and we want to do. We will justify. Yes, and that's and almost so frightening. it came a lot, and by the eighteen hundreds, it was entrenched, deeply entrenched, into the American culture, more so into the Southern culture because they were agrarians, and they lived off of farms and everything. Yeah, and yeah. The, but there was slavery in the North too. Mm-hmm. But and the South, I think it, the it, South it was a way of life. At that point, people no longer was questioning it. Most of the yeah. time, it was just what we did. Yeah, and the South depended on slavery more, like you said, with the farms. And I think, you know, they had farms up north, but uh, I think they depended on it for the financial reasons. Whatever you, Absolutely. whatever most times, whatever humans depend on to get their money. Whatever they they're not willing to let it go. They just put a exactly. chokehold on it. Exactly. If there's no once the money is goes away, then they're like, oh, okay, you can go now. But as exactly. long as there's money there, they they don't want to lose. They don't want to lose the money. Exactly. So they don't that, that's why that free yeah. labor force, and that's what it was about. We do not want to lose this free labor force. Yes. And we yep. can correlate that with what's going on today. The, oh yeah. With all the corporate greed and so forth. Oh yeah. People just don't want to give up making bigger, bigger profits. No, greed and, and has, that, has run across from the lowest level to the poor. Oh people. yeah. Even poor people are greedy now. Well, you see how we well then people climbing out of people's windows. It it it, it manifests itself in so many ways. But we could talk forever on that. Where that just deals with the ego's need to feel like it's better than someone else, even though no one is. So I gotta have more than you. 
that that literally drives some of us, and it, it gets us in a lot of problems. Have you ever done any research? And this is a question that just popped into my head. Have you ever started researching a book, and then you, you sit down and you say, I'm going to write a book about. Then you start researching it, and the book starts taking on a totally different life. Has that ever happened? All the time. Okay. But to be honest, um, when I get an idea, and... When I get an idea, the Holy Spirit has dropped it in my spirit. Mm-hmm. When that idea comes to me, the story unfolds as I write. I might get an initial beginning. Okay. But I have no idea what's going to happen further down the line or by the end of the story. Okay. I might know what I want to put in there. I knew when I started Ruth's Redemption that it was going to be a slave era story. Mm-hmm. That I was basing it loosely off the book of Ruth in the Bible. Okay. And that the Nat Turner Rebellion was going to be in it. But that's all I knew. Mm. Everything else unfolded as I wrote. Wow. Yeah, and I've heard other writers. I know I usually just sit down and write this, say that. But when you say the research, the research, you do so much research on your books that it could, that research, something that pops up during the research, could actually cause you to change the story. I just want to ask you two more questions about Ruth Redemption before we jump into Son of a Preacher Man. Can you describe for our listeners some of the main characters in Ruth's Redemption? Uh, well, we'll start with Ruth, who is a breeding slave, a young breeding slave, 20, and she is purchased by Bo, a freed black man, but an ex-slave, who was given a farm by his ex-master upon his master's death. Bo is literate. He's a Christian, very strong in faith. He's a widower. Ruth has never been married. Um, she's still a slave and very bitter and has no faith at all. There's uh, Naomi, who is Bo's mother-in-law, but his wife is dead, but they're still very close. She looks at him like a son. Mm-hmm. There's Mara, who is in love with Bo and has been in love with Bo for many years. Ah. She was in love with Bo when they were children on the um, plantation as slaves. Okay. And she also is literate. She was educated by the same person Bo was, which was the master's wife, who was a school teacher. Wow. Well, you, I'm listening to you talk, and I don't know if you ever plan on writing a book where you take a, a series, where you take a family from the 17 or 1800s, and you just show, or a community even, and you show them up through modern times, and people can see how things that happened to them in earlier centuries might still be impacting the community in different ways years later. And the reason I ask that is, and that would be fascinating, the reason I ask that is because when I heard you were talking about the Mara character, and she's she's literate, and, and then you talk about, the free slave and the uh uh the the one who is is still enslaved some a free african american versus someone who is enslaved and it made me think about Harriet Tubman how her her one her first husband was he was free and she wasn't and the difference even as strong as she was in knowing that this person's free and I'm not how today how over the years we don't even know the mindset that's created in communities and people. We we couldn't even begin to fathom it. I don't think yeah. how that through generation it just carries itself over. I mean, from the very genesis of it, little bits of it just carry over even today. Where once one person might think that they're a little bit above, just going. If you linked it all the way back to the beginning, you see where it comes from. I think it would be fascinating if you followed a community like that and then people saw in 2012 and they could say, wow, that might be why so-and-so acts like that. <laughs> well, actually, I do have a, 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 the beginnings of a manuscript of an idea very similar to what you're saying that okay. I started a few years ago. But sometimes an initial idea comes to me and I, I write what has come to me, then I put it away. And it'll be years before I go back to it. Okay. But that would be a very um, long undertaking because oh, yes. it's epic. It would have to go to the... And I have, actually, I have um, 
the name that I've given this manuscript is The Fighting Franklins. And The Fighting Franklins, Franklins is my mother's maiden name. Okay. And I wanted to follow the history, maybe infuse some of my family history, what little I know, and a fictitious family history. And the reason I said The Fighting Franklins is because I was going to follow their um struggles through the different wars and chronicle the epic through the different wars in this country, putting them into slavery from Africa, getting captured, fighting for your life, then up into fighting in the American Revolution, then fighting in the Civil War, and each section would be a different war, fighting in um, the Spanish-American War, fighting in World War One, fighting, and it would be di- different generations of this family. And whatever is going on socially, you know, this is going to be a long undertaking. Oh, yeah. And whatever's going on socially yeah. in uh, uh, the country at that time. So it would be chronicled through the war. And, and I've actually started it, fighting um, in World War One, and World War Two, Korean War, Vietnam War. And I stopped, I think, at Desert Storm or... Oh. But I would push it on up to whatever the time period is when I'm writing Afghanistan and Iraqi war. And each time, like at first it would be always the men, and then by the time we get to the Iraq war, you'll have the women in the family, even in the military. And these people would all be in the military. I was going to have some a Tuskegee Airmen. One of them would okay. be, and it, and it would be called the Fighting Franklins because the, all these families who partake partook in American battles. Wow, and yeah, and you and you show the the characters themselves because the the reader's going to fall in love with the character, not so much the conflict, the the military conflict, but the character themselves, and to see how they change, to see how they change over time. Yeah. And once readers fall in love with characters, man, you you just going to get more and more readers. That said, two questions: Is Ruth's redemption based on real life events or real people? I know you said you based it off of Ruth in the Bible, and if not, what what if it's not based off of something that happened in history? If what process did you use to create and develop your characters? Did you take little bits and pieces of people you actually know to create these characters? And if not, what process did you use to create these characters out of thin air? Well, actually, it was based off the Book of Ruth in the Bible, as far as the characters' names and their relationship to each other, sort of off the cuff, very loosely. Um, And that was my intention. But when I put it into the slave era, I just took the things that I had learned through the years about slavery and what I was learning for the immediate research about slavery and crafted the characters accordingly. Okay. Okay, okay. How how soon, I want to now t- start talking about Son of a Preacher Man, because I know you've got several other books out. How soon after you published Ruth's Redemption did you start to sit down and write Son of a Preacher Man? Uh, Son of a Preacher Man was written before Ruth's Redemption came out. Actually. Oh, okay. Uh, the publisher had, had Ruth's Redemption, really for a long time before it came out because they were holding it for Black History Month. And oh, okay. They actually gave me the contract. It was too close to Black History Month for them to get it out in time. Okay. But to the following year, that's why they come. They came out so close together all in this one year. Oh, oh okay. To the following year before they released Ruth's Redemption, waiting for Black History Month. Then... Son of a Preacher Man came out that, uh, Lucy Dutch came out in February, Son of a Preacher Man came out in June. Okay. So it was already written by the time. Oh, okay. It was released. Okay. I, I got to. T- um, one right behind the other. Oh, one, okay. I, I already knew I was going to write Son of a Preacher Man before I finished Ruth. Okay. 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 I got to tell you, Marlene, I just love the cover of Son of a Preacher Man. I mean, uh, it was just a, a, a definite, definite, uh, um, impactful cover. Who designed the cover of uh, Son of a Preacher Man? Um, I think the name of the designers are inside the cover of the book. They, they, it's some professional people and the editors at Lift Every Voice Books and Moody. 
they, oh, okay. they get together and they decide to design. They ask my opinions as well, and we all, I, I have the least amount of clout as far as that's concerned. They pretty much design it. I go over to make sure the details are like it should be, and they pretty much do it. Have a oh, okay. Design. Now, the description for our off-the-shelf listeners, the description for Son of a Preacher Man at Amazon.com reads, a historical romance novel set in the 1920s in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Son of a Preacher Man depicts the highly segregated life of African Americans in the Greenwood District in northern Tulsa and the tensions leading up to the Tulsa race riots. Marlene, why did you decide to take on another (laughs) racially charged time period to set a novel in? I like to focus on little-known historical events that involve African Americans. Mm-hmm. And you would say, well, Nat Turner is not really little-known. The truth of Matt Turner, most people know he had, he led a rebellion. That's it. Right. But I wanted to get more into the details. What kind of man was this? How did he have the nerve to do this? What was his motivation? Was mm-hmm. it freedom? Was it revenge? And that's why I brought out aspects of the fact that he thought he was called by God to do this. Do you know, I didn't realize that until I researched it. That wow. This, he really believed he was called by God to do this. He had gotten free for a month and went back and gave himself up because he said God told him that he's not supposed to just free himself but free his people. Wow. So wow. to bring out more um, substance to the man. Okay. So what kind of man this was. That was one part. And um, with Preacher Man, it was, when I learned about the Tulsa race riot, I was just floored that I had never heard this before. Mm. I just learned about it maybe about 10 years ago. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, how come I never heard about this? Of course, I'm not that young, so when I was in school, we didn't learn too much about black people, period. Right. Um, but the younger generations are getting more African-American right. yeah. used into their public school education. So when I read about this, I was floored. When I read about the Greenwood District, how prosperous it was, I was mm. floored again. This, to me, was a very little-known incident. The fact that Greenwood District was called the Negro Wall Street, I, I had no idea. I was just, black people hit oil. I had no idea. Mm. <laughs> oh, so if I had no idea, I know a lot of people in my age group, or maybe even younger, had no idea either. So this was a way to get a little bit of history out. Okay. In an enjoyable manner, to highlight something that is very, very under the cover, not known, and to tell it with an interesting story at the same time. And glorify mm. God all at the same time. It was a wow. win situation. Okay. Who Who is Billy Ray? When you say who is it, you mean how did I come up with the character? Yeah, tell us about Billy Ray. Tell us about him. Well, the title, Let me. well, let me start with the title. The title came from the song in my head, Son of a Preacher Man. And mm-hmm. the name Billy Ray actually is in the song. Okay. Son of a Preacher Man. That was I don't know if you are familiar with that song. It was a song that was that came out in nineteen sixty eight. Rita Franklin sang that, didn't she? She sang it also. But the first person who sang it was Dusty Springfield. Okay. It was written by um Hurley and Wilkinson and they originally it's a little history behind that during my research I also researched that. The song was originally given to Aretha Franklin. Okay. She didn't like it, she didn't want to do it. So then they got Dusty Springfield, who actually was from the United Kingdom. She's not mm-hmm. really even American, but I think she was over here at the time. And they gave it to her. She sang it. She she released it, and it was an instant hit, a big hit. Irma Franklin also, I don't know if you're familiar with her. That was Aretha's sister. Mm-hmm. She had a sister who, who, who used to sing every now and then. Okay. She made a couple of hit songs, but I've never heard much about her. Uh-huh. Irma Franklin recorded the song on one of her albums in 1979. But okay. once it became such a big hit with Dusty Springfield, Aretha Franklin recorded it, re-recorded Oh, okay. It. And well, I like both both um, 
recordings, but Aretha's is my favorite. <laughs> okay. I like, I, but I like the Dusty Springfield too. I like. Okay. But Aretha's okay. style is more uh-huh. my style, so I like okay. her recording better. Okay. So tell us about I got the title and the name Billy Ray is actually in the song. Billy Ray was a preacher's son. When his daddy would visit, he would come along. That's the first line of the song. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in the book, he's 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 what 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 is he like? What is he describe him for us? What is this character like? Billy Ray is a very very strong spiritual man. Um, he's a little bit of a playboy, as much as as uh, being a preacher's son and was allowed back then. This is in the 1920s. Okay. They, his family relocated from Durham, North Carolina, to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Billy Ray is led very much by the spirit. And when he meets ben, Benjamin or Benny, he realizes that that's who he's supposed to marry. Okay. Uh, he's had some um, unfortunate experiences with women, to say, to say it gently. And um, so when he comes to Tulsa... He's calling himself cleaning his slate. My unfortunate incidents behind me. I'm going to um, start fresh. Okay. All right, Billy Ray. Now, now he's a very strong spiritual man. My ladies' man. He's a good looking man. He's a good looking man. Okay. He's a big man, big tall. He's an eye catcher type of man. Okay. That, you know, do the double take with. Okay. And he's now educated. He's educated. And uh, but very very spiritual. Okay, what is Dick Rowland like, and how does he become center of the story? I don't talk a lot about Dick Rollins, but enough so that you can understand um, that actually it was the actual incident person's name. He was a young late teens. Um, he was mentally slow. He was not a uh, the brightest star in the sky, but he was a hard worker. He was raised by his grandmother. He has there's an incident where an elevator operator he he was a shoe shine boy and he cleaned the office building. Now, factually, he was a shoe shine boy. Okay. I. Fictitiously added in the part about cleaning the office. Oh, this is a based off of a real life character person. Yeah, Dick Rowland was actually an uh, actual person who caused the incident, which tipped off the riot. Oh. I, what I do is I mix, mix fact with fiction. Okay. Some of the people, some of the people are actual people who lived in that time. I researched the Tulsa race riot, and all the information I can get, certain names stood out, as they did something significant, so I used their actual names. Uh, a few names I changed because I wasn't going to write too nice of things about them, and I don't want to get sued. <laughs> right, I got you, I, I got you. I changed their names, but um, Dick Rawlin, that was his actual name. That was the actual person's name. Wow. Wow, I mean this story, but all your stories sound so intriguing. The woman that was oh her my goodness. name too, and supposedly he uh, was attacking a white woman in the elevator. Oh, Dick Rowland. And this is what tipped off the riot. That puts me in mind of the of the. Of the um, oh man, I can't think of the name of it. Those when those four guys down south got accused of raping those two white women and they didn't. Oh, what's the name of that? It'll come to me later. But when you just said that, that put me in mind of that. And also the incident with Emmett Till, it, it, it just... Yes, yes. That's a, that's a long, long fear that people have had of African-American men. Uh, and why, I don't know, because it actually probably were more African-American women raped by... Uh, oh, please, please. Yeah, I mean, it, you would wonder, why, how how could you have this fear when you're doing it more? It, it, it just it boggles the mind how well, we can't... Well, think about what you just said. I know what I'm capable of doing, so I know yeah. you're doing the same thing. That's where that yeah, comes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we, but we don't see. And before, out. see, their women were off limits. Yeah. So now you're free. Okay. 
they're not off limits anymore. So I know what I did when I could get to your women, so I'm scared you're going to do the same thing now that you can get to mine. Yeah, and that's even in modern times, fathers have that fear with their daughters. They don't trust yes. any man with their daughters because they know what they've done. Yes. And, again, it, 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 but when we do wrong, we can't see it. We refuse to see our wrong. Like you said, you, we can justify anything. But when somebody else does it. When somebody else does it, oh, oh, it's, we see it so clearly. We see it so clearly. We just can't see when we ourselves are doing wrong. I wanted to ask you, have you ever been to Tulsa? Have no, you ever I, been there? No, I have not, but it's on my bucket list of things to do. Wow. Okay. 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 So, so you, you just, again, pour through books and doing your research, and thank God for the Internet. Thank God for the Internet when you start. Yes, yes. <laughs> When you start researching, I wanted to ask you: Who can you introduce us? Your characters sound fascinating. Can you introduce us to just a few other major and minor characters in *Son of a Preacher Man*? Well, we talked about Billy Ray. Then we have Benny Freeman, who is the daughter of a wealthy uh, rancher who hit oil, and that's how he got his wealth. Okay. Um, she's she's very depressed. Benny is uh, very emotional. I hate to say whiny, but, <laughs> yeah, she's whiny. She's mm-hmm. one of those whiny, uh, I'm so miserable type people. And um, she had an experience, which was a devastating experience. And maybe today it wouldn't be considered as devastating, although I think it would be devastating at any time. But it's talked about more today. I won't I won't give away what it is. Cause that's oh, okay. But uh, it was a devastating, and back then, when those things were not talked about, it was even more devastating. And he had a a depression and withdrawal, and when she meets Billy Ray, he's trying to pull her out of that. Okay. He's just trying to get herself out of it. So she meets him at a very significant time in her life. Wow. And... um, but she doesn't really want to deal with a man. She's attracted to him, but she doesn't want to be. He's the type of person who won't go away because he knows <laughs> I told him. I said this is going to be my wife. <laughs> so that's <laughs> what <that> happens. <laughs> okay. And so that love dance between him and her is a, a large part of the um, plot. Oh. Meanwhile, we have um, Maynard Vaughn, who is a white lawyer. We have Ethan Freeman, who is uh, Benny's brother, a young black lawyer who is being mentored under Maynard. They are radical lawyers. They are bucking the system, fighting for equal rights. They do the cases that nobody else will touch or things to help like the Indians and the blacks and the minorities that don't have legal representation. They go to fight for new laws and this, that, and the other. They're the radical lawyers. Um, We have Cord Freeman, Benny's other brother, who is married to Savannah. Cord is the oldest brother. Ethan was the youngest. Benny's in the middle. Cord, I mean, um, yeah, Cord has issues of his own, and he's married to a strumpet. And whenever I say the word strumpet, people like, what is this strumpet? What is this strumpet? He's married, to, <laughs> he's married to a loose woman. Oh. And after, actually, the, the specific term for a strumpet was prostitute. It's one of those 1800, early 1900 terminologies. My grandmother used to use the term. Oh. Uh, it's, it's an old-fashioned term. That, that When I say it now, people are like, well, what's a strumpet? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, yep. he's married to a loose woman who married him for his money. She's okay. a gorgeous woman, but she's not very uh, faithful. And we get that. <laughs> 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 well, what 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 has readers' response been like? Your stories are very. They, I mean, you'd have to buy a Marlene Banks story to get these to enjoy these types of stories. What has reader response been like uh, for Son of a Preacher Man? Um. Good. I, I, I'm very pleased with the response, actually, for Ruth's Redemption and Preacher Man. The response has been good. Um, some people say they like Preacher Man better than Ruth, mm-hmm. and some people favor Ruth. 
So it just depends on your takes. A lot of people don't can't take slave era yeah. stories. Yeah. They, um, and then there's a the, uh, slave dialect, which makes it a slight. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Preacher Man doesn't have that slave dialect. It has more of right. than country type, western type. But it's, it's, it's easier to read in, in that respect. So um, I've gotten very good feedback about mm-hmm. Preacher Man. I can imagine. And now I want to talk about, because uh, I'm trying to cover as, uh, as many of your books as I can during the day show. When did you write Greenwood and Archer? Greenwood and Archer actually started also before I finished Preacher Man. Oh, my goodness. And I'll tell you why. When I wrote Preacher Man, it was just when I ended it, you know, as a writer, and I'm sure you're aware of this, we have certain restrictions. You just can't write to your heart's content ad infinitum. Publishers want word count. They don't want it too long. They don't want it right. too short. They want it this way. They want it so many words, no more than so many words. And when you start going over 100,000 words, as I'm sure you know, now it's time to cut it off for the average. Right, yeah. Or or turn it into a series. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And this mm-hmm. is what happened. Once I finished Preacher Man, because I was cutting it off because I knew, this, look, this is getting long, um, I cut it off, and I wasn't satisfied. Okay. dropped it in my spirit. You know what? You have more to tell. This is just like, oh, no. this this it, it, and, and I could have continued, but it was just going to be too long. So I mm-hmm. said, I need to maybe do another story and continue this saga. So I didn't do anything at the time. I just, in my head, I was writing it a little bit, and I wrote maybe one or two chapters, then I said, oh, and I put it down. When I gave it to my literary agent, and she read it, she she came right back. I never said a word to her about what I was thinking. She said, um, I don't know if you thought about it, but I want you to pray about it and see if maybe you need to write another one. <laughs> I said, that was confirmation. Yes, I was just going to say. <laughs> confirmation. And so she said, and and then I told her, oh, I can't believe this. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> she said, we'll try to sell it as a two-book contract. Okay. And so we did. Now, I'm a, I'm a greenhorn coming out to, coming out the stall, and I'm thinking they're not going to buy that. Uh, they don't know me like that. <laughs> they because at this time Ruth's Redemption had not been out there. They had contracted me for Ruth's Redemption, but remember I told you they'd held it for over a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it had not come out. They had no idea how my books were going to sell. Right. But for them, it's a business, and that's what they they exactly exactly. So I'm thinking, oh, they're not going to go for this. They're not going to go for this. But she did, and when they went for it, see, that's why I know nothing but Jesus, nothing but Jesus. Yeah. When they when they took it as a two book deal, my mouth dropped open. Wow. Good for you. Good for you. Congratulations. Good for you. That's 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 good when you hey, get that those. was nothing but Jesus. Nothing uh-huh. but Jesus. I mean wow. that was the favor of the Lord. Yes. So you wrote so, this before you st- before you finished Son of a Preacher Man. You had started on this book. That, I like had like eighteen chapters, and what I what she did was when she sent in um, Preacher Man, they were already considering whether or not they wanted Preacher Man. I just sent them the eighteen chapters that I had, mm-hmm. told them that I was capable because they didn't really know me that well. That I was capable of writing this second story; it could be interesting, stuff like that. And when I sent those eighteen chapters in, it was a done deal. Wow. And one lady told me at Moody, she said, and you stopped it right at the good part. <laughs> she was mad. Oh, that's that I good. stopped it at a good part. <laughs> okay. That that is so good. Why did why did you decide to continue Billy Ray Matthews and Benny Freeman's story? Okay. And Greenwood and Greenwood and Archie. His last name is Matthias. Matthias, okay. Um because they were the main people in Preacher Man. So I wanted to keep some of the major characters, especially the characters who had the most interesting stories, because that way I could layer the new story. Because it, this was a challenge for me. 
because you have to um, keep some of the characters, but you don't want to have the same rehash of a story. Yes. Yeah. So you have to infuse something new and exciting into these same old characters. So I had to pick characters who, first of all, had something interesting going on with them. Mm-hmm. Their romance was in a continual basis. At the time, they're engaged, but they're not married when the story ends in Preacher Man. Okay. I could continue their romance. That gave me plenty to work with. And then I could, their families. In Preacher Man, I, I undercover sort of like put family conflict and stuff into the story. Mm-hmm. But also play on that more, and then I introduced a lot of new, interesting characters, which was fun. Okay, how long did Billy Ray and Benny? Now you said she was Benny had been hurt. Billy Ray was a bit of a, a ladies' man, and you know when when I think about, and I, I had asked another author this before, where they took a ladies' man and they made him like faithful. That doesn't generally happen to people. How 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 did he become faithful, and what caused him? To go from being a ladies' man to being faithful, most people, if if you, just just studying psychology, it takes humans, most of us, a long time to change a behavior. That or we have some traumatic experience that causes us to shift quickly. But most, some of us never shift, yeah, even if yeah, we really want absolutely. to. We never well, do. What made Billy Ray change? Well, Billy Ray was not your typical ladies' man. He wasn't the type of man who went around trying to score and um, just for the sake of scoring. Billy Ray actually, I guess you would say, he wasn't a ladies' man. He was just like, he he liked women. If you, if you wanted to he catch him, he let, he let you catch him. Huh? <laughs> if you wanted to catch him, he let himself be caught. Yeah. He didn't go chasing but he women. Did have, but you, because he was raised as a preacher's son, he did have some morals about him. See, that's what was a conflict with him. That was part of his conflict. He had that little ladies' man bug in him, but it always was restrained by his upbringing. So okay. he didn't go, like, well, one of the women they talked about, and, and uh, I don't want to give too much of the story away because it will take the fun reading it, but um, something happened, and... Uh, he said, oh, I've never touched her like that. <laughs> no, no. So he wasn't just sleeping around. You know what I'm saying? Okay. He was having, not to say that he didn't, that's up to the reader's imagination. Okay. But he wasn't just out there sleeping around. He would have uh, just friendships with women. He he liked women for just friends. Okay. And a lot of times it wasn't all that romantic, but because they wanted romance, and they would push the button, and he's a man, you know? <laughs> okay. Okay, so I got you. A lot of times it was um, poor judgment on his part more than anything. Okay. To not okay, now- and that you can't be around this woman. And and back in those days, if a man spent a significant amount of time around a woman, it was expected that they would get married. Yes, yeah. a couple. If they were keeping company, as the phrase used to go. Yeah, yeah. Then they had yep. to marry. Remember, this is the 1920s. Things are very different now. Yes. But it's expected. So the way he was was not really the way we men are today when they're considered a ladies' man. Okay. Back then, when a man, it's not that men didn't sleep around them, but it had to be done a lot more delicately and mm-hmm. it was just not wide open. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, uh, without giving the story away, can you tell us, what some of the characters do to keep moving the story forward in Greenwood at Archer, but but the, don't give the whole book away. What, well, what are just one or two events? Greenwood that takes place after the Tulsa race riot, and um, one of the focuses is the rebuilding. I tried to sprinkle how the town is being slowly rebuilt because it was dev- devastated, and how it's slowly being physically rebuilt the buildings that were burned down and they mm. up new buildings bigger and better than the ones that they had before and the town was totally rebuilt after a while it started almost immediately um how the resistance to them rebuilding from the white community who wanted to buy the property who didn't want them to rebuild 
how the federal government and different people across the country agencies were watching them because they, uh, even though it happened, they had a black eye with uh, nationally because of the incident. It was considered a disgrace by whites and blacks. All spoke out against it. So that carries the story along as we go. Okay. There's um, new characters and there's old characters who are in new situations. Um, okay. And uh, some of the same situations exist because the segregation still existed. Mm-hmm. After the race riot, the people were put on lockdown. They had curfews. Now, this is the victims now. Mm-hmm. And they treated them like they were the perpetrators. Right, right. Yeah. And they did it so that they wouldn't rebel. And they did it because they were mad now because now the federal government is in it. And they look bad. And so I also show some of the political air at the time. Okay. And what is, uh, you know, what is going on with the mayor and what's going on. And um, I have preachers that's trying to act united and bring the, 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 the family of faith together and mm-hmm. have uh, what they call Unity Day, and that meets with resistance from the mayor's office. Um Wow. His love affair with the chief of police, and I won't give that away. He's a very prominent um, figure in both Preacher Man and Greenwood and Archer. Wow, you you really got a lot going on to keep readers intrigued. Yes. i got to ask you from your research, do you know what Tulsa's Greenwood District is like today? It still exists, but it's, it's, it's only existing as a historical um, neighborhood. Um they saved part of it. I think most of it is gone, but they saved a small part of it for historical districts. Certain buildings um, have just been deemed historical. Okay. For that particular purpose. Okay. But the Would whole be- area is not considered. But the Greenwood and Arches, the corner of Greenwood and Arches still exists. Okay. Wow. Will there be a sequel to Greenwood and Archer? I don't want to say no. I don't mm-hmm. foresee it, um, but you never know. The characters were all interesting in that um, series, so you never know. If, if if I get enough feedback that that's what people want, oh, I can do it. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. But I don't foresee it. Um, at right now, I'm writing the western. What, what what what? And do you have a title for the western, and when you expect it to be out? Uh, I don't like to really give out titles because people don't, the publishers don't necessarily keep the titles. No, I know it's a work, it would be a working title, but I'm just yes, curious yes, what your working title. Bruce Redemption was not the title I originally had for that. Mm-hmm. My title was Freedom to Love. Oh, okay. And okay. Uh, they chose, the publishers chose Ruth Redemption. Son of a Preacher Man was my working title. Oh, but they kept okay. that one. All right. All Greenwood right. and Archer was not mine. Actually, I had never titled it. Oh, okay. But I had a couple of ideas. But Greenwood and Archer, actually, I didn't even like the title. Greenwood <laughs> and Archer, to be honest with you. The publishers picked it. And Uh-oh. then later we found out someone had a, another book out called Greenwood and Archer. Actually, it was supposed to be Greenwood and Archer after the riot. For some reason, they cut Oh, after, okay. They cut after the riot. I guess maybe it was a printing issue. Um, because you, as, you, as I'm sure you know, that makes a lot of difference in things. Yeah, yeah. And um, they they took out after the riot, and then later on we found out that there was a woman who had a, another book out called Greenwood and Archer. So um, the working title I have at this moment is actually I have two working titles, and I, I I'm waiting to finish it before I decide which one I'll use. Okay. Uh, the first title was. Gunmen have no Sabbath. Mm. Gunmen have no. Gunmen have no what? Sabbath, like you know, Sabbath. Day no of, day off. Yeah, no day of rest. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And the second title is Tombs of Nicodemus. Ah. Or it might be the Guns of Nicodemus before it's over with. And the reason it's Nicodemus is because that's the name of this black town in Kansas that still exists. It's the only surviving black 
Plains settlement town that that still exists today. Wow. And those black people came from the South during the um, Reconstruction period, after the Civil War. Okay. When all this Jim Crow, once the federal government, while the federal government was there, they were doing good. Mm-hmm. The federal government moved out of the South. They instituted all these Jim Crow laws in retaliation to mm. put the blacks back in their place. And that's when things really got hard down there again. Even though they were free, they weren't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of so there were a lot of people moving to the West. And this was in the um post Civil War, eighteen seventies, eighteen eighties. A lot of people were moving to the West, whites. The government was giving land grants. This town was founded by a white man and a black man, and they 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 advertised in the South, come to Kansas, come to Nicodemus, mm-hmm. and these people were called exodusters, who migrated from the South, like Kentucky, Georgia, Tennessee, moved over to the West to Kansas. Kansas to them was like the promised land, and that's what it was called. There was one man very prominent in that. His name, they used to call him the Moses, the Black Moses, because he was so um, aggressive about getting people to go there. Mm-hmm. And they called them exodusters, as in the Bible, the book of Exodus, and this land was considered dusty and dry and, you know, the plains. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they got the name Exodusters. And it was a great exodus from, like, the late 70s to the mid-80s of blacks shifting out of the south. Some went north, but mm-hmm. blacks, the Exodusters were the blacks who shifted to the west. Uh, and their wow. side, they were black pioneers. We mm-hmm. always see the, the, the covered wagons with the white folks, but these were black pioneers. And... That life was very different from the life that they knew, the the rich soil of Georgia, and then you come up to this dry, dusty Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. So the, it was a whole new experience. They didn't even have houses at first they because they, they were lied to. They thought it was going to be like where they came from, and then when they got there, all of a sudden, what is this? No trees. This is the plain <laughs> Where's the trees? And this dirt was dry, and you couldn't grow nothing in it. and It was a mess. Those people had it very, very hard. But they carved out. Some people went back. Some people went back. They couldn't deal with it. Yeah. But a lot of them and most of them stayed. And they carved a life out of that land. And they lived in dugouts initially, dugouts in the ground, holes in the ground that they mm. lived in. Mm-hmm. They made ladders where they had to climb down into because the, the the weather was extreme in that area. Also, the weather still is. It was extreme, and so they lived in these dugouts when they first got there until they were settled and could build what they call side houses. Then from the side houses, you would build a wooden house. They mm-hmm. built a town. This town was was predominantly black. They built a town called Nicodemus. And there were other towns. There were a lot of other settlements come popping up, too. But this one still survives to this day. Wow. Only one that still survives. Wow. Man, you know how to spot those stories. <laughs> you know how to catch You know what I said? That's nothing but the Lord leading me to this stuff. Wow. And I oh, my goodness. I never you... heard of this. I never heard of Nicodemus. Wow. So about you... this until I researched it. Do, do, you, do you now or currently or do you plan on incorporating speaking events like to discuss history, I mean, my goodness, with your book marketing strategies, you could actually teach people things. And there are people who love history. I, a lot of people don't like history. Yes. There are people who love history. I, I went, I covered a story but for I love history. That's why I could. I, could there, I, I mean, there are tons of people who, I covered a story for a newspaper on a Civil War reenactment they did in Ben Salem. I never knew it was so popular that some histor- historic events People, there are people who love history. They would sit down and listen to you talk for hours. Have you ever thought about incorporating some speaking events about history, some key historic events with your book marketing strategies? I don't, I'm not really a 
history teacher, I'm, I don't think I'm knowledgeable enough. I can do well enough to write about it and speak about it in terms of how I started the story and so forth. But to actually, say, give a seminar or speak purely about the history of it, I guess I could get by, but I, I don't consider myself good enough. Okay. Maybe I am, but I don't consider myself. Uh, maybe uh, so, after a while you, you'll be convinced as you keep researching different um Different history history pieces. You might at some point find some thread that some common thread between each of these histories. I love you about the Nicodemus. Oh, I loved researching it, and the oh, it was so fascinating. But see, I'm a little mild history buff myself, so I like historical events. And as a matter of fact, my next um, after I do the Nicodemus thing, I want to do the Alamo. Wow. Blacks, there were a lot of blacks at the Alamo, but we don't hear about that too much. Yeah. I want to focus what? on the black people that were at the Alamo. I'm in my Western phase right now. Okay. Now, As we come about this Western, it has four gunmen, four black gunmen. That's something else you don't see a lot about. Okay. Gideon McCoy, David Boone Tennyson, Joshua Boudreaux, and wait a minute, who's the third one? I write so many different things, I have to get their names. <laughs> and there's one, I'm missing one. Joshua, Gideon, David, Boone, Tennyson. Oh, I'm forgetting one. But I'll, it'll think of it. That's yeah. that. As you get older, you know how the memory goes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah, don't, yeah. But I have four four gunmen um, who, who focus as the main characters in this um, western. All right. As we come down to the last three minutes, can you tell our listeners? Oh, uh, our, I just, it just came to me. See, that's Caleb. Caleb came. Caleb. Caleb. Okay. Okay. Caleb. All right. Where where can off the shelf listeners get copies of your books online and offline? You yes, you can get them Amazon dot com, Barnes and Noble online and off. I mean, you know, in the store with Barnes and Noble or um, online. You can get them Books a Million. You can get them any major distributor, uh, Black Expressions, Book Club, sells hard copies, hardcover copies. Okay. Um, if, you can order them directly from Moody online. If And and if you go to my website, MarleneBanks.com, you can click on the icon, and it will take you to Amazon where you can order them. Okay. Okay, so all easy ways, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Moody, Books a Million. Mm-hmm. You can go online and offline and get get yeah. copies of of uh, Marlene's ba- Banks books, Greenwood and Archer, Ruth's Redemption, and Son of a Preacher Man, and she's working on a new one, Nicodemus, which will be out shortly. We, uh, hope, if some, we hope. We, ho- we hope, that's right. That's we, hope, right. We, hope, we hope Moody will take it. <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting to hear from him now. If somebody wanted to speak at an organization, wanted you to speak at their organization, how should they how should they contact you, or do you do you not? They do- can contact me through uh, my website, marlenebanks.com, or my Facebook, author Marlene Banks. Email me and and give me your contact information. And I'll get back to you. Okay, okay. So Marlene does. Does do speaking events, and as you see, she's a wonderful, a wonderful host here. I'm a guest here, and so you can see she's she'd be a phenomenal person to come and speak at your organization, and then she could treat the people who attend your event to uh, selling or reading reading a bit from her books, and then selling her books at the end of the discussion. Oh, thank you so much, Marlene, for coming back and joining us here at Off the Shelf. Your books are just so incredibly, just so intriguing. And I encourage our readers to support Marlene and get copies of her books. Again, Greenwood and Archer, Ruth's Redemption, Son of a Preacher Man, titles that are easy to remember. You can go online, Marlene, Marlene Banks, M-A-R-L-E-N-E, Banks, B-A-N-K-S, and check her out online and maybe read, read some of the excerpts from her book. Her reviews are, are just very, very good. They're at the top at Amazon.com. Uh, and, and I think you would find it hard to find stories like the type of story she writes in 2012. You could really appreciate her work. We want to thank Marlene for being here with us, and we definitely thank 
each of our off-the-shelf listeners for tuning in with us. Please tell your family, your friends, your colleagues, book lovers everywhere. Spread the word on the social media. Tell folks you work with when you're at work with them. Tune in to Off the Shelf on Saturdays, 11 o'clock in the morning, Eastern Standard Time. We just keep bringing you wonderful guests, writers and editors and publishers and literary agents and small business owners, people who can share things with you, not only entertain you, but enlighten you and give you, you'll hear something that can help you as you pursue your own uh, your own dreams. And please go out and get a copy of my latest book, Love Pour Over Me. Again, it's only $3.03 at Amazon.com. So please go get a copy of Love Pour Over Me today. As I always tell you, you are so incredibly fabulous. You are awesome. We never, ever, ever, I don't think, realize just how awesome we are. And I just keep telling you, you're awesome. You're amazing. You are absolutely wonderful. Go create a fabulous day for yourself. I'll see you next Saturday, 11 o'clock. Bye for now. And Marlene, I'll shoot you an email. It's been a pleasure.